from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life, a conversation in which we explore everything related to work and the rest of your life. From your family, your private self, your mind, body, and spirit, and your community, our society, our fractured, fractious, broken world that we all need to play a role in trying to heal, right? Well, we're here to help you with that project. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I founded the Wharton Work-Life Integration Project and the Wharton Leadership Program back in 1991. And I run a company called Total Leadership. You can learn more about it at totalleadership.org. It's a consultancy and training company. My latest work book is called Parents Who Lead. And uh, in it, what we've done is taken the science of leadership and applied it to the art of parenting. And lessons in it are um, some of the stuff we're going to be talking about on the show today with our guest, who's also an expert in this area and relevant for the times we live in right now. We're recording in June 2020. New episodes of this show premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern here on SiriusXM channel 132. You can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business as well as you can follow me at Stu Friedman on Twitter and on social. Parents have really found themselves supremely challenged at this time during the pandemic and the the new reckoning or awakening about racial injustice in our society. Not only are many people working from home, but they're taking care of children full time. And in many instances, they're, they're trying to be substitute teachers, struggling with that most, mostly, uh, with opportunities too to create new kinds of relationships with people in your home environment. There's news profiles of families during this time that show how in many instances, mothers still handle the majority of the domestic duties and that it's because fathers aren't always stepping up, even though some say they might want to. Well, my guest today is an advocate for fathers who believes that many men want to be good fathers, but for a lot of, well, understandable reasons, they struggle with that role. So he's dedicated himself to helping them, drawing in some big measure on his own experience in becoming the father that he has become. And I, I really can't think of a better guest to have on the show right now, just before Father's Day, than Larry Hagner. Larry is the founder of The Good Dad Project. He's the author of a couple of wonderful books, including The Dad's Edge Nine Simple Ways to Have Unlimited Patience, Improved Relationships, and Positive Lasting Memories. We're going to get into what those simple ways are in this conversation. He's also written a book for kids, Daddy Will Always Love and Protect You. I just love that title because that kind of says it all. Larry, welcome to Work and Life. Stu, what's going on? It's really good to see you. Well, it's, it's good to see you. Now, you and I are seeing each other because we're recording this from uh, my home studio, let's call it. That's a highfalutin term for my office where I have a microphone that allows us <laughs> to have decent quality audio. And you're, from, you're in your studio, which looks a lot more like a studio, but I suspect it's not far from where you live as well. Am I right, Larry? Oh, I, uh, this is my house. In right. fact, I just interviewed uh, Chris Voss, who is the chief hostage negotiator for the FBI for 20 plus years. And my, when I did that, my six-year-old came in dressed as Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and so Chris got a kick out of that. And even on the podcast, you'll hear my six-year-old in that interview. <laughs> uh, well, who knows my, who might uh, trail into this conversation. I, I'm, uh, so we can see each other, but of course, listeners will only be able to hear us. Um, and I am now uh, the senior member of a multi-generational household now that uh, one of my kids and his family have uh, joined us uh, for a time. How long? We're not sure yet. And I'm uh, rediscovering so many aspects of uh, what it's like to live with, with kids and with babies. Um, <clears throat> so maybe we'll get into some of that. 
Let me just say a little bit more about you so our listeners understand who I'm talking to right now. Larry is the creator of the Good Dad Project podcast, on which I have had the extreme pleasure to appear not that long ago. Uh, It's one of the top podcasts on iTunes, and he's just a, a wonderful host. He's a graduate of Southeast Missouri State University with a background in health, wellness, and nutrition. It was his own struggles with being a father that led him to create the Good Dad Project. All right, let's let's get into it. Welcome again, Larry. It's great to have you here. It's good to be here, man. Really good to be here. So, All right. Yeah. Well, tell us, um, you know, growing up, my guess is that you probably didn't think, okay, I'm going to be a dad guru or a dad advocate when you were like in junior high school. Um, but somehow you came to this idea of what your present life's purpose is. How did you come up with the idea of founding the Good Dad Project? What was, what was the impetus and the, the path you took there? It was absolutely positively the, because I knew everything there was to know about fatherhood. So I figured I might as well share this knowledge, right? Okay. <laughs> so you, you had a bolt of wisdom. Like, oh, yeah planted in your brain one summer <laughs> afternoon somehow that just had this epiphany no AI it came out of absolute complete and total struggle without a doubt and it even even the 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 evening that it happened it it came out of a really dark place mm. and i i really struggled i have four boys mm. uh, 14, 14 12 6 and 4 and I got to tell you, I spent the first six years of my fatherhood journey just struggling with patience, with anger, a uh, hot temper. I had a so-so marriage. It wasn't what we call a legendary marriage. I was your typical guy who got all of his validation in the workplace because that's where I did well, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it really just came out of one night that I, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take uh, the, the path that I was on. So I, I knew something had to change. Could you say more about what happened that led you to yeah. realize this is, this is not working? I got to change. Absolutely. So, you know, it, let me start with some background. I, I came from, my mom was married three times. I came from pretty chaotic childhood as it pertains to being a father. Every guy my mom was married to, there was some element of toxicity. There was some element of, mm. of alcohol, drugs, abuse, that kind of thing. So I, I spent half my childhood without a father figure. And then the other half, it was whatever man who was a part of our life at the time. Mm. And what I can tell you, when I became a father or when I, when I knew I was getting close to it, I was like, you know what? I am so passionate about doing this right. I have to do it right because I know what it feels like when it's not done right that I'm going to do it right. And it was, I was going in the complete and total opposite direction. I, I, I was literally the men that we probably helped today. And so the, the night, I, and I'm, I'm happy to share my childhood because that's, that's a crazy story. Um, my biological father left when I was nine months old. I was reunited with him again when I was 12. He left again, and then I was reunited with him again. I, I ran into him by accident at a Starbucks when I was 30. And I'll, I can get into the details of that, but, the, but to answer your question, <laughs> The night that it happened, my four-year-old was I, was, I was packing up our house to move. And I hate moving. I, I just loathe moving. And I'm packing up our house. I'm packing up his playroom. And I just, you know, I had one of those days at work that every guy has. I'm just like, oh, this What is kind of stuff. work were you doing? Medical device sales at the time. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, dealing with customer complaints and sales in general. And just had a bad day like normal. Came home, was packing up the house and had a few beers. And my four-year-old came in his playroom and that I was packing. And I said, hey, do me a favor. I'm going to take a break. Please don't get any of your toys out because I just packed them all up. I Uh-oh. leave. Yeah, I Uh-oh. leave. Uh-oh. <laughs> I know where this is going. You know where this is going. <laughs> so I leave. I come back. And literally every single toy that I had spent probably three and a half hours packing up was just about out of the box. And I, I lost it. I just lost it. And I, I, I spanked him and I spanked him so hard he hit the ground. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I, I went to pick him up and he looked at me and he shuddered with fear. And I was like, and that I'm, I'm, my palms are sweating even talking about it because at that moment, I didn't see my four-year-old son. I saw me. And the things that I went through and I had this, you know, this image of like, I 
told myself I was never going to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment. And my wife, who I've been married to for 17 years, I've known her for 24 years. She's the, she's the mom of four boys. So there's not a whole lot that ruffles her feathers. And she will never call me out on something unless she really feels strongly about it. And she just looked at me and she's like, seriously, like, really? He's, he's four. And I was like, in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, this is bad. I went to my office. I was really emotional. I I really like to just kind of call that my Jerry Maguire moment where you're just, you've had enough of, of doing life in a certain way. And you, you create something that is going to change things. And I remember getting on social media. I remember getting on Facebook because I just wanted to distract myself from what had happened. And I saw this thing in the left-hand corner said, create a page. And I don't know what it was. I have no idea what it was, divine intervention. Uh, but I clicked that button and literally off my mind and heart and onto that keyboard, the good dad project just came out. And really what it was at the time, because the brand has really shifted in the past three years, it's now really more the dad edge. Um, but that was a starting point of a surrender of ego. Of, of I knew I can no longer continue to do life like this. I can't be married like this. I can't be a father like this. I, I need to have more patience, more resilience, more capacity in my life. What I'm going to do is I'm going to create this page. I'm going to go out and learn one thing new every single day of what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a father, and just an overall better person. And I'm just going to post it here. And whoever follows me, follows me. And, and that's So I'll fine. bet that by making a public uh, commitment to your intention you built in some uh, accountability pressure as well as uh, perhaps some, some inspiration for you to persist. Is, is that right? Absolutely. It was, it was public, it was mm-hmm. public accountability. Um, it was and at the time I didn't really care if it, if, if people followed me or anything like that, I just wanted a platform to where if I could inspire myself and then somebody else, great. Yeah. But that's really what it was all about. And the Good Dad Project. Let me just remind listeners, uh, yep. this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm speaking today with Larry Hagner, who is the founder of the Good Dad Project and author of The Dad's Edge. Please continue, Larry. You were saying about, uh, about the Good Dad Project and where it went from that initial inspiration. Right. So, you know, I, the good dad project was me. I I was the project because Mm -hmm. I was willing to go to work on myself. And what happened in, in very short period of time, three months or or so, I started getting emails about like, Hey, you know, we, it was actually the, the very first email I got was from a community of moms. And they said, Hey, we've been following your page for a while. We want you to come speak to our group of moms at this church. And I was like, group of moms. I was like, how many moms? Like 25 or and she's like, no, about 250. We want you to be a speaker about dad stuff. And I was like, <laughs> was like, what do you want me to talk about? I don't know a thing. Like, I'm just here posting things that I'm learning. And they're like, no, exactly. That's, we want you to come in and just kind of mm-hmm. give us a day in the life of what's going on in the man and heart, uh, in the heart of a man and in the mind of a man. And well, you so were I'd demonstrating say, a kind of curiosity about the world and about yourself and about this, this aspect of your life that you wanted to, to learn more about. And that, that's a, that's a contagious and very uh, noble thing to be doing, to, to be curious about the world and to be open to discovery and to, and to be trying to help, yourself and in so doing help other people who might also be interested in that in that kind of discovery so it's it's no wonder that you were starting to attract attention so you were surprised by that but i'm not continue what happened Uh, you went to speak to these 250 moms and then i went to speak to these 250 moms and i just had a blast i just i kept it really light i kept it humorous i just Uh pretty much just kind of gave them you know, all the imperfections that men kind of carry around. And most men, we answer every question, good and fine, fine and good. How's life? Good. And how's work? Fine. How's the family? Good. We're good. So just giving, giving them more an authentic view of what it is that, because I think if you sit down and ask most men, what, what is it that you truly want? We truly, truly want to create an incredible marriage with the women in our lives. We truly want to have that connection with our kids and we want we want more resilience. We want more patience. We want to lead better. We want to lead ourselves. And those were the things in that speaking event that I spoke about. 
Yes. So you probably also addressed why it's so difficult to realize those aspirations, I'm guessing, right? Like, yes, those are the things that most men want, but many do not know how to cultivate uh, themselves as caring fathers and, and spouses uh, who, who, are doing, who are doing good in the world in a way that their families can see and appreciate. Did you speak to those questions of what, what, what makes it difficult for men in our world today to be the men that they want to be? Yeah, I was, I was so nervous. I don't even remember what I did, but I, can, I, I feel that I can answer that question now. Uh, uh-huh. m- most of us men, and you know, uh, we, when we ask one of the, one of the hardest things that we do is ask for help, mm-hmm. you know, a- ask for direction, ask for guidance. And especially when it comes to our families and especially when it comes to our marriages, I mean, it takes a, it takes a, a man who surrounds himself with the right men to have an open conversation of say, Hey, Larry, how are things with you and Jessica? How, how's your communication? You know, are you, are you having, are, are you being intimate? And I, when I say intimate, I'm not talking about the physical part, but are you having deep conversations? Are you curious about her? Are you a student about her? Things like that. You know, are you in her life? Not just, you know, sharing space with her under your roof, you know, conversations like that. Those are the types of conversations that we really need as men. And yet we don't have them. How are things? Good. How's your family? Fine. Right. How about them eagles? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, well, that, those, those are the NFL safe- is another topic that we don't right. have to get into, but right now I'm sort of done with the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and look to the English premier league who, I don't know if you're following them at all, but this is a slight digression, but it's actually on point. If you'll allow me, they, uh, allow, they, they said to their players, if you want, uh, to have instead of your name the words Black Lives Matter on your jersey when we open for you know non uh, non audience uh, matches which they did this week just yesterday you can do that every single player in the English Premier League has as his name on the, on his jersey right now Black Lives Matter no names wow. just numbers anyway yeah uh, I think the NFL has something to learn about. Uh, what it means to be um, speaking uh, to the to the right side of where we need to go as a society, but I digress. Or do I? <laughs> we can go whatever direction you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm on the subject of you know it's sort of a you know that's sort of the mentality, right? You, people mm-hmm. just talking about superficial things. What makes it difficult? What have you found about what makes it difficult for 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 men to talk about? what they are actually experiencing in their relationships. And, and as you were saying, asking for help. It really boils down to it just in my humble experience that men don't want to appear that they're not on top of their game. They don't, they don't want to appear that they're weak, that there might be problems. That's why every question we answer with good and fine, fine and good. We don't want to give any type of indication that maybe our marriage is going through a rough spot. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't have patience with that five-year-old. Maybe our teenager is, is doing things that, we're, that might make us look bad or weak or as a parent. A lot, a lot of men live these quiet lives of desperation, quiet lives of desperation where we are, we are physically surrounded by people, but mentally and emotionally, we're, we're going at this alone. And, mm-hmm. and the funny thing about, about human beings, and especially men, we, we are tribal beings. You know, we really are. I mean, Jim Rohn said you are the average of the five people that you spend the majority of your time with. Mm -hmm. And that's no different than fathers. And if you look at most fathers, they're not doing that. They're not doing what? They're not having these conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, a, a lot of us, unfortunately, are what we like to call in the drift, where every day is like the day before, you know, get up, go to work, do your thing, come home, hang out. And it's the same thing over and over and over again. But I, I truly, truly feel that if you talk to most men and what's on their mind and heart is that's not the way we want to live. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we want those, like I said before, a legendary marriage. We just don't have the skill set to right. understand how do we build that. 
Yeah. So, Larry, you're probably at some level still the same guy who spanked your four-year-old. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's you're always going to be you. You're always going to have the life you had, you know, growing up. That doesn't go away. No. What changes is, well, what? What, what has changed and, and what, do you, what do you continue to, you know, wrestle with as you aspire day in, day out to be the kind of father man you want to be? So you, you hit it right on the head. Um, I see that guy around. Mm-hmm. No, I, I have conversations with him. I'll look up in the mirror and I'll still see that same guy. The, the thing that I've learned is it's being a father and a husband, patience, um, creating connections, creating psychological safety, having better conversations with your kids. It really boils down to choice. You can choose to learn skills that are going to improve those areas that you feel that you're not proficient, or you can choose to keep going in the direction that you are. And there's always going to be that older, less evolved self of ours, our old self. Mm-hmm. that's still going to be there in the background. However, as human beings, I mean, you're not the same guy you were when you were 25, right? Mm-hmm. You've learned a thing or two, right? Mm-hmm. But, yet, but yet I'm sure you still remember what it was like when your kids were little and you were, you were younger and, and the things that were going on in your mind during that point. And, and the, you, you evolve. Mm-hmm. You've, and, and the thing that I, I think is so important for men to understand is you can evolve quicker. You can evolve quicker. You can learn new things. You, you can create these relationships that you truly, truly want within your family. Even for those who have really suffered and don't see a better way. I mean, I guess you probably run into a lot of those folks in your work. Um, how do you help people, uh, men primarily, to, to take a step toward seeing that they do have some freedom to choose and they can break out of those prisons of their own device mm-hmm. uh, and, and to, to find connection and to, to try to move from that sense of isolation and, and, uh, and deprivation really towards a more meaningful connections with people. What is it that you do to help people to see the possibility that that's real and that they can then take realistic steps toward becoming well different by choice i think the best way to answer this question is if i share a really sort of vulnerable story with you if you don't mind just about things that i've seen or been through and if you don't have any objections it might take a couple minutes well we've got a a couple before we have to go to break so Mm -hmm. why don't you start now and uh, i'll i may have to cut you off at some point before we have to take a break but please So I'm 45. Parents were married in 71. I was born in 75. Uh, After I was born, my father left. My biological father left. It was a really ugly divorce. I have no recollection of him whatsoever uh, in that time period. Mm -hmm. What I can tell you is, you know, being four years old, I remember being in preschool. I remember men coming to preschool to pick up their kids. I knew what a dad was, even though I was being raised by a mom. And my version of a dad at that time was, well, moms just go out and they find a dad. Like, you know, they, my mom hadn't found one yet. No big deal. My mom just hadn't found one yet. And I'll never forget the very first time my mom brought a man home that she had been dating for a while for dinner. You know, this is 1979. I'm four years old. He comes in with the, the double Windsor tie, you know, the three-piece suit. He was a data processor. He had a trench coat, briefcase. And he came walking through the door and it was the first time that I've ever seen a man walk in our door. And my mom introduced me to him. And my first question out of my mouth was, are you going to be my dad? Mm-hmm. Literally, that was the first question I asked him. And I remember the reaction from my mom and him. And they did get married. They were married for five years. They got divorced when I was 10. And what I can tell you is every year that they were married, it got worse and worse and worse. So my experience mm-hmm. with that father was sort of yin and yang taught me a lot of great things, but also when he drank was a pretty ferocious individual. Hmm. When I was 10, they were divorced. And by the time I was 12, I started asking questions about my biological father because I had no idea who this guy was. Hmm. Um, my mom told me who he was and I actually ran into him by accident when I was 12 at a YMCA here in, in St. Louis. 
And we hung out for about five or six months. He was remarried at the time, had a two-year-old son, another one on the way. And I remember I wanted to dad my life so much. Hmm. And about six months in, I just remember there was like this heaviness to him, like stress. And we had a conversation and that conversation ended like this. I just can't do this right now. He said that to you. It, it was, that was the basic direction that the conversation went mm-hmm. and we parted ways and that was it. And when I was fast forward to, I was 30, uh, married, have my first son on the way and I'm in a Starbucks with a friend of mine and who comes walking in for his morning coffee, my father. I hadn't seen him in 18 years. I knew exactly, exactly who he was. And we ended up having a conversation. Here we are 15 years later, we still have a relationship. And my mom was married, like I said, three times. Every guy she was with was, it was, it was I won't go into detail, but traumatic experiences did happen. So when I became a father for the first time, I had all this baggage you know, so when you, when you ask the question of like, Hey, how does someone who's been through trauma or, or anything like that, how do we get through that? And what I can tell you is that I lived that victim role for a long time. Well, I can't possibly be a great father, even though I want to be, I mean, look at my background, no chance. Hold that thought. Got it. That's, that's a, that's a good place for us to take a pause here. Um, because, uh, I, I, I know I want to hear the rest of that story. And listeners probably do, too. We're going to come back in just a minute. We have to take a short break here. Uh, Please don't go away. When we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Larry Hagner, who is author of The Dad's Edge. Wonderful, really easy to read and use guide for becoming the father you want to be. Here, we're celebrating Father's Day. I am Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Hey, welcome back to Work and Life. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and it's great to have you with us. My guest today is Larry Hagner. He's the founder of The Good Dad Project and author of The Dad's Edge, a wonderful book that I strongly recommend to you. Nine Simple Ways to Have Unlimited Patience, Improved Relationships, and Positive Lasting Memories. Guys, I'm speaking mainly to dads here. You can do this. Everybody can, and you can't be too good at it. I can assure you that. You can always be better, and it's good for you, good for the people that you love most of all, no doubt. He's also the author of a children's book called Daddy Will Always Love and Protect You. Larry, um, please conclude the story that you began just before our break. For sure. Well, thank you so much again. And the thing that I'll share is I lived in that victim mindset for a long time. Well, I can't be a good father. I won't, you know, I won't have a good marriage. All I saw was this chaos, you know, three marriages and yada, yada, on and on, on victim, victim, victim. And I think it was really in that moment that if you want to give men an action item, it's this, if you don't, if, if you're, if you don't have the connection with your kids that you truly want, Mm-hmm. If you don't have the patience with your kids that you truly want, and if you don't have the legendary marriage with your wife that you truly want, I'll say this. It's not your fault. It really isn't your fault if you're thinking about your past, right? If you're thinking about the things that you've been through, the things that mm-hmm. you've seen, or maybe it's the fact that, you know what, I really just don't know how to do this. I mean, like mm-hmm. I said, you know. You might every, be ignorant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, think about this. Marriage, parenting, all these things that are so important, mastering even our personal finances, right? Mm -hmm. All these things that are so important to us, we really don't get the training. And I'll get to the training and I'll I'll tell you what I'm talking about. But if you think Mm -hmm. about like marriage, you think about parenting, it's almost like, you know what? Hey, I want to be a cop for a living. I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like if you wanted to be a cop and you put in your application, you show up to police academy and they tell you, oh, hey, guess what? We don't do training anymore. Mm-hmm. We, we just don't. You're actually a cop today. You head down to precinct number nine. They're going to put you in a squad car, give you a gun, a taser, a computer, and you're going to go out and fight crime. Hey, best, don't worry about it. It'll be the best time of your whole life. You got this. Mm-hmm. 
And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to pull people over? What are the laws? What's this? What's that? And that's exactly what is on the mind and heart of a man. They're like, man, I want to do this job so bad. I want to but do I don't hard. know how. I just don't know how. That's, I need that's help. I we need all help. do. We all do. So you might think yourself a victim and you're not capable because you're just a, a general fuck up. And so how could you possibly rise to the occasion of being a noble, you know, human being in your family? Exactly. And you're saying that one of the first and most important actions is to recognize that you didn't do this or something right. to that effect. Am I right? So there's two parts of that. If, yeah. you don't know, if you don't know how to do it, you're not, number one, you're not alone. None of us really do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is your fault if you don't do something about it. Mm -hmm. and, and men are, unfortunately, a lot of us, we don't want to either invest time or resources into learning. Because they're like, well, I can't take time. Like that, that's taken away from the family. I can't take resources. That's taken away from the family. Right. But that's anything that you want to learn. If you're getting an undergrad degree, master's degree, new job, you got to put in the work. Tell me about it, Larry. I'm a professor. I think I right? understand the concept. And, <laughs> and most of our listeners do. I talk about it all the time. There's nothing, there's no growth that's free. Exactly. Yeah. You got to put something in, but that's, you got to want it. Yeah. And that's really what we've been talking largely about in the first part of our conversation. So, so for those people who come to the point, whether it's because they feel lonely and realize that's it, I don't want to live this way anymore or maybe they slap their kids too hard and realize, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Or whatever it is that brings people to an idea that, you know, there's, there's got to be a better way to be a father here. How do you help people to start to move on that journey? So I'll, I'll give you a couple of different easy, easy things to do. And, and I'll start this off with a quote. And I think this quote will make men feel very uncomfortable in a good way. And that is the definition of hell is meeting the man that you could have been when you're lying on your deathbed. Mm. And no man wants to live that life. And if you think about the trajectory of your life right now, and I'm not saying men who are listening to this show have a bad life. A lot of us have like, eh, it's a pretty good life, right? Mm. Yeah, it's all right. Pay my taxes, go to church, go to work. But that's not what men want. Men want to live these purposeful, intentional lives, amazing marriages, amazing connection with their kids, the work that makes them come alive optimal care of their health and mastering their personal finances and leading. That's what we truly, those are the things that men that's on the mind and hearts of men. Here's a couple of simple things to do. Number one is buy a book, right? Learn something new every day. I mean, that that's what a book is what 10 bucks. The other thing you can do is listen to a podcast, personal development, communication, marriage, parenting, uh, any of those things that are going to sharpen a skill set that you truly want to be better at. Mm -hmm. The other thing too is I'm really passionate about this topic is you've got to pick your circle of friends wisely. Uh, mm -hmm. Steve, Stephen Mansfield, um, New York times bestselling author just came on the show. He just wrote a new book called um, men on fire. He talks about the relationships that most men have with other men. And that is what he calls a rust relationship. And you and I just talked about it, right? How are the Eagles? No, they're cool. I'm watching soccer now because of what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. How's work? How's this? Good, fine. Those are rust relationships and those serve us to a degree. But man, we, we need to live life with men in our life who are like-minded. And that's, that's the biggest thing, like-minded. The mm -hmm. ones who are willing to have conversations about what it means to create that marriage that we want, you know, to be, a, be the father that we want. So where do you find those if the, if the guys you've been hanging out with are those who are more the sort of uh, standard variety that, that we all know? How do you create know, those kinds of connections and relationships with, with other men who can help to elevate you? So there's, there's a couple of different things you can do, right? Um, number one, you got to be the one, if you, if you want to look for this in your own circle of friends, yeah. you got you to be the one to start, start that conversation first. You just got to do it. And there's a way when you, when you tell men to do that, they automatically start thinking of sort of feminine energy. Oh, like I just need to talk. And that's not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Find a man who's better than you operating at a higher level than you in a certain mm -hmm. area of his life. Maybe it's his marriage. Maybe you're like, wow, I see, I see, um, you know, Brad and Brad and Jessica 
who just love each other. He's, he's one of my best friends. I've never asked him like, I do that. What are you guys doing? Like, how do you create that? And, and asking the tough question with men, but doing it in a, in a nice masculine way. So if I had that conversation with Brad, it would look like this. Hey, Brad, I, I got to ask. I, I just would really love to hear some advice if you don't mind. And what do men love to do? We love to give advice. You know, I see you and Jessica and it just seems like there's so much love between you. And, you know, me and Mandy, we're just, we're kind of so-so, you know, things are okay, but I want what you guys have. What are you guys doing Mm -hmm. to create that? And once again, it's that curiosity, right? To be learning, to be discovering something new and to realize that you don't know what it is that you want to know that you need to know. And there are ways of getting that information. But you were saying, like, once you, once you start that conversation with Brad, what happens? So what, what you just did is you complimented Brad. So you complimented Brad, he feels really good. And now you've just leveled up the level of authenticity and vulnerability in that relationship. So Brad looks at you like, wow, this, this is cool. It's kind of like Brad is probably like, this is kind of the conversation I've always wanted to have. I just don't know how to start it. Mm-hmm. And what happens usually in that com- conversation is reciprocity. Mm-hmm. And, and, and maybe, maybe my thing is health, you know, like, and he's like, you know, now that I kind of shared a few things with you about my marriage, dude, like, I would just really love to know, like, how do you find the time to take care of your body, your mind? Um, what do you, what do you eat on a normal basis? You know, what, what do you do for your body to, to help it operate at, at a top level? It's just things like that to where every man have a, has a strength and every man has a curiosity of where to be better. And a lot of times we're standing shoulder to shoulder with men or we're friends with men who compliment us in some way, shape or form. And we do the same to them. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean defining or a new circle of friends. It's more about opening up the conversation with some people that you might already know who can help you to uh, bring yourself to, to a higher level of, of functioning. Right. You got, you got to be the first one to start it because your buddy Brad probably isn't going to do it. <laughs> No, but if you if you demonstrate that curiosity, and if it, and I think you know to underscore your point about how it is indeed a, a kind of honor, or you know, it's flattering to be asked for help. Absolutely. Uh, and in my experience, you know, most people are more than happy to give you time uh, when you start in the way that you did. Uh, well. So it's hard, though. I mean, you have to come to a point of understanding that this is something that you want to change. Let me remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio at Sirius XM 132. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I'm speaking with Larry Hagner, founder of The Good Dad Project and author of the highly practical and readable and important, especially here we are at Father's Day, The Dad's Edge. Nine Simple Ways to Have Unlimited Patience, Improved Relationships, and Positive Lasting Memories. So can you give us a couple more of the tips that are in this book, uh, particularly with respect to positive lasting memories at this time when we are living in uh, a pandemic and social upheaval, generally speaking? What's, what's, where's the opportunity here for dads to, to take advantage of whatever all this tumult and uncertainty is creating. So I will tell you this. I I interviewed Mark Devine, who's a former Navy SEAL commander. He also wrote the book Unbeatable Mind. Uh, Just a fantastic individual. He has a quote that I love, and that is, the quality of your life depends on the quality of the questions you ask yourself and those around you. So we're talking about all this uncertainty right now, right? And, and maybe the best way for me to share this is through another story. And this is a quick one. But I think right now, if you turn on the news, if you look around, you're asking yourselves, why can't I? Or why can't we? That's probably what a lot of questions are starting with. Why can't we? Why can't we just go out in the world? Why, why can't COVID just be over? And why can't we just go back to normal? This is so frustrating. But here's the cool thing about the pandemic and and what's going on in the world right now. We're living in a time where we have slowed down as a society. Mm-hmm. We're eating dinner together again. We don't necessarily have restaurants every single night and fast food every single night. People are gathering at the dinner table again. So the story I want to share with you here and the listeners here is this past Easter, my wife has a huge family. 
27 first cousins and lot, there's about 70 people that show up to one relative's house mm-hmm. for, for Easter. We've done it for 24 years. It's something that my four boys look forward to every year. Mm-hmm. Easter, nice. Bunny, Easter Bunny shows up the whole nine yards. So we woke up on Easter. We couldn't get together because of the pandemic and we're stuck in our house. And all my kids are like, this is, this is really terrible. Like, why can't we have Easter? Like we always have Easter. Like, why can't we see the Easter bunny? Why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? And the question that I encourage your listeners to ask themselves, whenever you hear a, why can't I, why can't we to replace that with how might we, mm-hmm. you know, and just some psychology, right? You're a professor and you probably know this, whatever question we're asking ourselves either out loud or internally, your brain is going to answer it, you know, why can't I be a better husband? You know what? You want to know why? I'll tell you why. You know, why can't I be a more patient father? You want to know why? It's because you're overworked. It, all these answers will come back. But when you start asking questions like, how might I? How might we? So my wife and I got together that morning and we're like, you know what? This is, this is hard. So we got together with the kids and we said, listen, guys, we're in a situation we've never been, which could give us an opportunity to come together like we never have. So what are some things, what are some things that we have control over? How might we come together on Easter as a family and do things we've never done before and have a day like we've never had? What comes to mind? And my kids were like, well, um, we could play flag football outside. <laughs> like outstanding. Let's do it. What else? Well, you know what? Let's, let's all go around the table at dinner and say a prayer for Easter. You know, a, a good intention. We'll do that. We could play a board game. So we did all these things. Mm-hmm. Even my wife was out there playing flag football with us. And my wife and I went to bed that night and we just like high-fived each other because it was an amazing day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Did you, would you have ever thought? But it all came from that, that question. Instead of the, why can't I, how might we? And we did. Well, once again, it's, it's an illustration of the idea that as I guess the, the theme or the motif of our conversation, Larry, and that is, um, the importance of, of having a, an open, curious approach to life, one that looks forward rather than back so much, right? Exactly. And that's kind of what, what I'm taking as an important idea from your life's work is that at one point you decided that you, you were not going to eliminate your history because you can't but to not be so mired in it and to look for the ways in which you might be able to create a different future. Um, And of course we all have that within us, but not on our own and, and how important it is for us to be, uh, to be open to creating something new with the help that we need from the people around us. So uh, about positive lasting memories, what's, what's the big idea there in terms of, what what it takes to create uh you know a uh a, a life that you can look back on not with regret but with a sense of all right i i tried to do the right thing and maybe i did some correctly <laughs> I, i'm one of those guys when it comes to connections and experiences i like to go big I, I like to go really big and the reason for that is because and and not not like that all the time you can't do that all the time but there are little micro experiences with connection that you can do every day. Mm-hmm. So like, I'll, I'll give you a few examples of things that are big. So if, if you want, so for your listeners who a lot of us are trying to keep up with the Joneses, you know, our kids have every bike known to man, every PlayStation game known to man, every, all right. Crazy. My wife and I sat down about two years ago and we really did what we call a value analysis. What do we really value? Mm-hmm. And, it just, and I won't go into the detail, but here's what, here's what, how it ended. We value experiences and memories and we don't value stuff. Mm -hmm. We just don't. So quick story on that is instead of spending money on Christmas for stuff, we'll buy an experience. Mm -hmm. So like we'll buy um, a trip to go see a concert that we want. We bring the boys with us. Mm -hmm. Um, I took both my boys who are 14 and 12 on a rite of passage where we hiked up a 14,000 foot mountain and back down. And there was a lot of different ways that we stopped along the way. And I won't get into it because of the sake of time, but there was a lot of things that we did, a lot of pillars that we walked through uh, on that journey that I read through them and the importance of managing money and friends and hmm. respect and integrity and truth. And, and so they'll go to their deathbed and they'll remember that. So things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but going big on, on the experiences and the connection. 
And if you want to know the men love simplicity, here's how you can do it in a very small way every single day. I just interviewed Todd Herman, who wrote the book, The Alter Ego Effect, and he graced us with three questions that you can ask your kids and your wife too. Uh huh. And what it does is it helps instill a growth mindset while also creating an incredible connection with them. So instead of saying, how's school? Do you have homework? Mm -hmm. Fine. School's fine. Yeah, I have homework. So instead, ask your kids three questions. The first one being, what was the most exciting part of your day? Tell me about it. And they'll, be, they'll just light up. They'll give you detail. Mm-hmm. And if you want more detail, when you see them come alive and all that, tell me more. How did that make you feel? Mm-hmm. What was the coolest thing about that? And then the second question is, and this, this one makes parents feel uncomfortable, but it's so cool. What did you fail at today? And what did you learn? Because mm-hmm. the more you can get that kid used to failing, Mm-hmm. Like, all right, man, fail faster. Let's go. Like, hey, yeah, failing. Because mm-hmm. most of us as parents, we don't want our kids to fail. We want to protect them from it. But when we can take the lesson from failure and our kids can articulate it back to us, man, that is so powerful. Yes, and then indeed. The, and the third question is, what are you most looking forward to tomorrow? Because that gets them back in that state of gratitude and back in that state of like looking forward to something. And when you walk away from a conversation like that as a parent where you've truly connected with that kid, on a high emotional level and that kid is connected with you, man, that's powerful. It's so simple. It's not that complicated, is it? It's not. And, and it is, uh, it, it sort of invests your attention in their inner experience and their, you're giving them an invitation, right? To, to share with you what's going on inside uh, and to be teaching that failure is normal. And that really the only failure is to is the failure to learn from what we do. Uh, you're giving you're giving your kids a leadership mindset, growth, and you know how to continue to become better. We were watching um, the the modern version of Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson, who was a student of Carl Sagan's and who did the original Cosmos series in the '70s. And uh, we're watching one of the episodes last night with our 13-year-old grandson. And one of the things that, that uh, DeGrasse Tyson says about scientists is that, you know, what makes for a good scientist is that, you know, they're, it's not that they claim that they know things. It's they are always uh, curious about what they don't know. And that when you, you know, when you, when you get to the point where you think you know what your, you know, the answers are to all your questions, that's when, you know, that's when you're done as a scientist. That's when you've given it up. Um, but that the active scientific mind, the active leadership mind is one of continued curiosity and questioning and realizing there's so much that you don't know. And I can tell you that at 68, I have so much more that I don't know than I did when I was 12. Uh, because there's so much more to know about what you don't know. And that's a good place to be. I'm glad I, I think that way. It feels so much better than thinking that I'm supposed to know everything. And that's what you're teaching. That's what you're, and how do, how do people get to you? How do they find out what you're about? And, and you know, aside from your wonderful podcast. Oh, thank you very much. So you, everything that we're doing, you can find it gooddadproject.com. Uh, we've got all kinds of resources there. We have five years and almost 600 podcasts uh, on that site. And you can find the podcast literally anywhere and everywhere. Uh, it's on, it's everywhere. As far as, you know, other resources for men to engage with us for the past f- four and a half years, we've been doing what we call the dad edge mastermind. And that can be found on our site as well. We call it the dad edge Alliance. And you can find that at gooddadproject.com forward slash Alliance. If you're, if you're that guy that we were talking about and you want to you, you need accountability. You want to upgrade those conversations and learn those skill sets. That's what we do over there. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely the, the best place to find us. And how, are, how is that operating in, you know, in remote land in pandemic times? As far as the mastermind goes? Yeah. We, we, we lucked out there. So we always have ever since 2016, we've always done everything uh, virtual. So we do masterminds via Zoom. We I actually... See. We actually have 25 different mastermind call teams that we have per week hmm. that we do. So right now we've got about 400 guys that do life with us. So there's a lot of people doing this and it's, yeah. it's always better with other people in an environment that's being curated and, and cultivated by 
people who were concerned about creating uh, a social environment where people are compassionate and curious and, and helpful to each other as opposed to judgmental and, uh, and incurious. And it, it's clear that that's what you are, that's what you are, what you are bringing among many other things to the world. Uh, Larry, in, in just the last uh, minute or so here, what's, what's your great hope for your, your sons? What, you've got four of them. What do you hope that they become? You know, to be honest, I just, and I don't necessarily mean in terms yeah. of career, but like, you know, the, the, as people, as people, just good hearted, confident, happy, wholesome men. That's really it. Just in its simplest form. Yeah. So that when they are uh, at the end of their days, that they won't, they won't be uh, approaching that, that hellish question of, Oh, what could have been? Exactly. Uh, we, we know the research is clear that what people think about when they're dying is uh, not so much their public achievement as the relationships that matter most. Yeah, it's the pe- people we did life with, right? Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, it's a good thing, Larry, for for many of us that you have uh, found a way to help bring that idea uh, to many more people. So thank you for the great work you're doing and for joining me in this conversation today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And, and thank you for your work as well. So I know your listeners can't see us, but I'm holding up your book. I, I love your book. So thank you. Well, I much appreciate that. All right. Uh, thanks again, Larry. And thanks again for listening, folks. Don't forget to tune in next week at 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a question about something you heard on the show, you can email me. I'm Friedman at Wharton.upenn.edu. Our station is business radio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow on Twitter at SXM Business. I'm at Stu Friedman. You can also find me on LinkedIn. And free podcast versions of this show are at uh, totalleadership.org. Just scroll down the page and you'll see many, many shows there um, on all kinds of topics, including more on fatherhood. Thanks to our producer, Patty Hall, our sound engineer, Dion Simpkins. I am Stu Friedman. You've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.